joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. This is the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. And I am here with a phenomenal show for you today that's going to intrigue you, enlighten you. And I want to ask you, starting off right or right at the beginning of the show, um, what do you think is meant by internal dharma? So that's to pique your curiosity for what today's show is all about. I want to give you a heads up that we're going to explore some things about how to find spiritual evolution through surrender and embrace your life's true purpose. But before we get started with the show, I want to thank our sponsors of today's show, the Health Healing and Wellness Company at healthhealingwellness.com. Check them out. They have some wonderful specials for spring um, that is going to help reset you and rebalance you and get you ready for the warmer weather as the coolness and the dampness and the coldness of winter transitions into the blossoming renewal and rebirth of nature that goes on in the spring as well as the renewal and rebirth of what goes on inside of us. So check out Health healingwellness.com for their specials on helping you to feel healthy and well. The next sponsor is a telecommunications company that has been in existence. This is their 27th year, and for a business to be around for 27 years is absolutely a phenomenal thing these days and definitely a business that has had some success. Health Healing, and I'm sorry, the all-day cable Incorporated is located in the Silicon Valley, and they are a telecommunications installation company um, that handles all installation of your network distribution. So whether it's your voice, your data, your fiber, your wireless, problems with your speaker systems, your passenger display systems, or any electronic technology that um, merges and melds with telecommunications, you definitely want to check out All Day Cable. Their motto is, they make the right connections. And in today's society, having those right connections is very important to how we do business and how we live our lives today. So you don't want to try to connect, and you can't because you're, your backbone of your network distribution is down somewhere. You want to be able to connect and take care of business in this fast and high Taste modern world. So check out All Day Cable Inc. Again, a telecommunications company that has been a top 50 woman-owned business in Silicon Valley for many years, and they've been around for going on 27 years. AllDayCableInc.com. You will not go wrong if you let them make the right connections for you. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest. But before I do that, I want you to. Pull up a chair, have a seat, get something warm and cozy to drink. Maybe take out a piece of paper and something to write with because you may want to take some notes with regards to what we're going to talk about. And today's guest is Vishnu Swami. He's known as the Maverick Monk. And 
you know, what's really cool about um, the guest is it's something that he's going to share with us, some things that all of us um, can learn about ourselves, can incorporate into our lives, and, um, you know, just just so we know that we are just doing um, possibly what we're supposed to do as we travel, as I like to say, down our path to bliss. Now, uh, Vishnu's journey to passionate enlightenment, radical self-development, and effective action began at the age of 11 when he moved to a monastery in India, living in mud huts with thatched roofs and a pet elephant. How cool is that? His days of youth were spent gaining an in-depth understanding of how ancient teachings of the East and how to practice living a joyous and fulfilled life. Now, this included uh, training not only in philosophy and spiritual rituals, yoga and meditation, but also in holistic healing arts such as shiatsu, acupuncture, jinsen jiu-jitsu, reiki, skeletal alignments, and martial arts like um, jiu-jitsu, and this is really cool, and dagger fighting. Um, Grounded in this variety of mental and physical disciplines on both the metaphysical and practical planes, Vishnu continued his training as he traveled the world under the direct mentorship of his most beloved spiritual guru, Srila uh, I'm just going to say of his most beloved spiritual guru, and we'll let him state the name of his guru so I don't mess up. Um, now, Vishnu Swami, the maverick monk, was bestowed the greatest honor of becoming the world's youngest Swami at the age of 23. And since then, he's traveled the world, visiting over 20 countries and 80 cities to teach the condensed knowledge of the Vedas in um, of the Vedas in India, which if you guys have been listening to the show, you know that I'm an Ayurvedic uh, nurse practitioner. My whole business is built around Ayurveda. So it's really cool when I have someone on the show that um, knows more about the Vedas than I do. And there's so many people out there that know so much more than I do. I just know a tiny bit. But it's really cool to have someone on the show that knows about the Vedas because they have an abundance of knowledge and information and wisdom uh, for us here on earth. We just have to look and dwell and and be guided to the knowledge that we're seeking. Now, Vishnu has spoken to crowds of over 15,000 people in four different languages. He has been featured alongside Pope Francis in museums and art exhibitions worldwide and has shared the stage with legendary teachers such as the infamous Les Brown, Bob Proctor, Mary Morrissey, Michael Beckwith, Cynthia Kersey, Bernie Dorman, Kevin Harrington um, from the original Shark Tank and the entire cast of the movie The Secret, which includes some of my friends that I've gotten to know over the years. Um, And so his unique approach to unraveling the wisdom of the past in a way that is simple and easy to understand, practical, clear, and even sometimes a bit controversial has led him to be featured internationally in multiple media platforms, including television, newspaper, magazines, radio, and an award-winning Hollywood doctor. 
documentary. And so with that, I'd like to welcome Vishnu Swami to Blissful Living. Welcome to the show. I am excited. This is going to be good. Yeah, I am excited too, particularly because, um, you know, I'm so blessed to have um, you on the show, and I'm not sure if it's appropriate, but to me, you're a guru, and so um, I don't know if you consider yourself to be a guru yet, but you most definitely should with all the wonderful work and things and people that you work with and things that you've done. Um, what is the correct way of how I say your beloved spiritual guru's name? My guru is Srila Bhaktivedanta Narayan Goswami Maharaj. And don't have to memorize that the first time around. <laughs> oh my gosh. See I knew I was like if I would have practiced I would it would have inevitably, no matter what, I would have messed it up as I would have said it. So it's just like let me just let him say it so I don't mess it up and give homage and, and honor to the guru because they're very beloved and very, very special people. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about how at the age, of the tender age of 11, that you ended up, um, you know, going to um, a monastery. Well, my parents, they were spiritual people. They studied the Vedas and practiced spiritual things. And so I went on a vacation with them to India, and we visited a monastery there in West Bengal. And and it was a beautiful place, mud huts and these crystal rocks. And it was just, it was a fabulous, fabulous place. And I felt like this natural attraction from my heart. So I tried out staying there while they were there for a day and then uh, a week, and then it became three months, and then I just stayed there five years, and then I traveled with my guru around the world, and I just had this natural, yeah, that was just home. It it gave me meaning and purpose. I was in England before. I was born in Spain, but then I I was in England, and I was going to normal school and growing up mm-hmm. and learning and and everything was kind of like la di da, just normal life. But there was no there was no passion, there was no reason, there was no spice, there was no purpose behind it, there was no depth. And I found right. that in the monastery. So at the age, so at the tender age of eleven. Um, was that the moment you, when you got to the monastery, you know, you're traveling with your parents who are spiritual and, you know, study the Vedas and, you know, have the wise wisdom that is contained in the Vedas, you know, are, first of all, let me ask you this. Are you an only child? No. Okay. How many, how many kids in the family? I have an older sister, a younger sister that my parents separated and a younger brother. So... It's okay. But there's okay. A, it's an age difference, about eight years between me and my siblings. Okay. Now, with reg- are you the oldest? No. Okay. So you you, know, you just yeah. said you had an older sister and a younger sister, and then a brother from a, another mother. I'm gonna say. Um, yeah, a brother from another <laughs> mother. <laughs> Not trying to rhyme, but it's just the way it came out. Okay. So yeah. now, when you know, when you decided to like. With the, I'm just so curious about this because it's, I think it's really cool that you were so young. But when you decided, like, you know, you guys went to, on vacation, you're in India, you know, beautiful, beautiful country, beautiful people, um, just full of color and life and vibrancy and spice and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, 
what happened that led you to say, you know what, I just want to stay, and, and how did your parents react to that? Well, there was a school there. So I wasn't the only kid. I wasn't just like a lone kid in the monastery. Okay. There, there was there was a school, so they had a training program, which was beautiful. So there was a discussion, and I was a test out. At first, I was like, this is cool, but it's in freaking <laughs> India. And, and so... The, so we tried it out first, and then also my parents knew some of the people there, so there was trust, and but, and yeah, so, and the rest is history. Wow, I mean that's actually cool. I, I'm thinking of you know my my boys when they were 11. If I you know there's probably one of them out of the three that I probably would have been okay with. You know like okay, you know you're enlightened, I, you have a purpose, whatever. But the other two, definitely not. So <clears throat> I get it. You know, it's something that you feel as a parent deep inside. You know, sometimes you're hoping things will be okay. You're not sometimes always sure, but, you know, you just put your hand, your trust in God and, you know, um, how we're supposed to live our lives. You know, I'm sure parents would have probably picked something a little different for us if they had the, the choice. But, you know, it's not their lives. It's our lives. And so um, that's that's just beautiful. Now, I want to get to, like, you know, you have this um, – you're, you're living in a beautiful place right now, and you have this just really calm presence in your voice. And, again, it might be just because I've been practicing Ayurveda for the last mm, 27 years, but um, – it's just a really calm presence. And so with that, I'm looking at, you know, you're called the Maverick Monk, which Maverick kind of, to me, entails a little bit of a rebellion, a little bit of rebelliousness in there. How did you get named the Maverick Monk? Well, a lot of people, when they go on this spiritual path, they say money's bad, relationships are bad, the world is bad, and the spiritual ideal that people have is they just want to jump off the planet Earth. They just want to go to some monastery in India like I did and go disappear <laughs> in the Himalayas and meditate. And, and, and oftentimes that's born from a lot of pain and suffering that happens in the world. We come in this world, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering, there's a, we lose our jobs, we go through breakups, we go through so many hard times, we get sick. You as, an, as a doctor, you know that. Uh, so we, there's a lot of trouble on earth and a lot of people think, okay, well, if I'm just going get, to get out of this pain that comes from the material stuff, I'm going to do the spiritual stuff. So they, they want to run away and just, they think the spiritual is defined by opposing or being separate from material and practical reality. And and I completely mm-hmm. disagree. And I did the whole living in the most likely place in the world to be eaten by a tiger in the villages in India. <laughs> and, and, and what I say is that real spirituality is not about dropping off of the face of the earth. It's about dropping back to earth. It's how do we live a practical, effective, powerful life integrated in the world now in our, in our being and have that be a spiritual process. And to a lot of a lot of people who are like, no, I came to spiritual stuff to run away from stuff. I, right. I, it's controversial. So that's why I'm the Maverick Monk. And I like I like that. Go ahead. Yeah, and then at the same time, I, I'm also 
in stark contrast to normal mainstream society that says all you need to do is gratify your senses, get what you want, buy the next brand, do the, uh, how do you say, just material things that's just completely based on the body and the mind and gratifying our senses, when they're missing the whole beauty, the whole new dimension of the spiritual realm, of, of when you access your spiritual self and your spiritual power, then that that brings so much more beauty, so much more luster, so much more light into practical life. So I think really what the problem is, like I describe in my book, Eternal Dharma, my new book, the one that I'm speaking about now, mm-hmm. is, is that the real myth, the real problem is that people divide the spiritual and the material. They say there's spiritual stuff, there's material stuff, there's heaven, there's hell, there's good, there's bad. And you choose one, and if you're doing one, it means you're not doing the other. And I completely disagree. It's, they're one and the same. They're integrated. It's just your relationship with it, whether it helps you grow spiritually or helps you, or helps you destruct spiritually. It doesn't help you, but just destroys you spiritually. Right, right. And so in my book, Eternal Dharma, I teach how do we use practical life to advance spiritually and how do we have the spiritual realm help us make more money, have better relationships, uh, be, run a better business, and live effectively and powerfully. I love it. So you are saying that you can be a spiritual person and make a lot of money as well. It's not that you just can. Like, you can get away with it. It's not like that. It's I'm saying the process of making money can be an enlightening spiritual process that, that enhances your spiritual life. Gotcha. And the reason why I bring that up is because, um, you know, there's so many people out there that <clears> – <throat> There's there's a whole bunch of contradictory stuff going on with regards to religion and all of that. But there's so many people out there that, you know, say, well, I'm a spiritual person and um, I should not charge for what I do or I should not make money or I should not make a lot of money because if I do that, then I lose my spirituality and I'm no longer spiritual. And I'm like, that always confused me because I'm thinking if God gave you your purpose and your purpose, quote unquote, your Dharma, which we'll get into later, was re- is revealed to you, then there's a reason why these opportunities are coming forth to you to one, help someone and make money or, you know, help someone and charge them something for the help that you give to them. There shouldn't be any ill will or negative feelings about that because as long as what you're putting out there is positive and vibrant and loving and coming from your heart, um, you know, you you shouldn't reject the fact that people want to pay you because you're helping them be better, feel better, do better, look better, so to speak. And so... I like what you share because the two can go hand in hand. I mean, if you think about the people that were in the book, The Secret, that just kind of came off um, and just had this phenomenal effect. The information has been around for thousands and thousands of years. If you research that information, it's been around forever. But, you know, how would it have been if those people that were in that book decided, well, you know what, I can't be in the book because if it makes a lot of money, then it's, I'm not really owning up to being my true spiritual person or being in the true spiritual nature of myself. And so we may have not gotten that information in that book that speaks to society the way it needed to be spoken to today. So I, I love what you're sharing. And um, and I want to move into, because we're talking about, we talked a little bit about spirituality with regards to, you know, having prosperity. And I want to ask you, what is the difference between spirituality 
and religion because people tend to mix those two up and blend them and, you know, do all kind of stuff with them. And, and so I want to get your take on what you believe the difference is between the two. I'll tell you that in the in a minute, but I think the idea, the subject of money is an important one. A lot of people have a lot of emotional baggage in relation to money, in relation to sex and in relationship with money, because those things are high energy. They often in society determine our value, our worth. And so people, there's all these different ideas about it, and it's a very tense subject. And really, if we don't master that subject, then how can we master ourselves? If we don't master our relationship with money, if we don't relax, because money, in a sense, is a side effect. When you give value in the world, when you're giving something, money comes. So if you're not mastering how you're dealing with money, you're not mastering your your dharma, you're not mastering who you are and what you're doing in the world. So it's an, I, I guess I just want to bring attention to the listeners that that's something you've got to take care of. Because if mm-hmm. you're still thinking that, that money is going to, going to contaminate you and take you away from the spiritual realm, then you're never going to get enlightened. You can't get enlightened because you need money to live. You need energy. <laughs> if you're going to eat, you're going to, use, you're going to use some money. And then you're impure. And then and I, I'm that coming to the the religious thing is then there's uh, there's a lot of religions that will 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 push saying yes therefore you're bad therefore you're guilty uh, and then make you feel bad about yourself make you feel guilty just for doing the simple things that are natural for staying alive. Right. And if you're not alive, how can you serve? How can you love? And I think this brings us to the core of what is, to your question, of what is spirituality, what is enlightenment, how do we grow spiritually? And some people think, okay, what it is is just a detachment from this world. I'm just going to say, oh, this is material stuff, there's things of this world, I'm going to detach, I'm going to be separate, and therefore I'll be spiritual. I'll be zoned out in some kind of bland nothingness. And I completely disagree. And this is not just my opinion. You know, I've studied this mm-hmm. my whole life <laughs> in the right. years old in India. And, and but based in the thousands of years of wisdom of India, the 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 deepest type of enlightenment, or what I explain in my book, Eternal Dharma, the the three stages of spiritual evolution. The third stage, the highest, is a passionate, loving, colorful, flavorful, um, exciting relationship with the divine I, I speak about it as passionate enlightenment and it's not just a bland nothingness so anyway i guess what i want to say is that <laughs> spirituality is more about attachment than it is about detachment mm. it's just a question of attachment to the right things in the right way Attachment right. to the divine, attachment to God, uh, however you define God, attachment to uh, to the spiritual, attachment to selfless action, and most importantly, attachment to your dharma, attachment to who you are, your purpose in existence. And so I needed to say that. Now, oh, your question yeah, about great. spirituality and religion. Basically, what I understand is that spirit, God, the divine is eternal. My book is called Eternal Dharma. It's, it, it's eternal. God exists everywhere and expresses himself in many different ways. Inside every atom, the divine exists. Outside of every atom, the divine exists. God exists inside of our heart. God exists inside of the ocean. God, I, just, I live near Hawaii. I live in Hawaii, so I remember the ocean. <laughs> but but God, God is everywhere. 
and, 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 and all things and, and sometimes talks to us inside. Sometimes we feel the presence. And for some people, there's even the, there's the kingdom of God. There's the spiritual domain that you can enter and know God as a family friend, as a person, as, as someone you can have a passionate relationship with. And mm-hmm. so us humanity, living beings, we... It's part of our dharma, which we haven't talked about yet, but it's our inherent core nature to be in a relationship with the divine, be in a loving relationship with the divine. So human beings are are searching, how can I create this relationship? Or what? It, sometimes that, that question comes out in different ways, like who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? What do you want from me, God? What What is this? Why am I suffering? So humanity and has always been searching for a connection with the divine because that's our nature, that's who we are. And in different cultures, in different languages, in different styles, people have created relationships with the divine or uncovered relationships with the divine. But because we're not completely pure and because our relationship with the divine is also mixed with our our body, our mind, our gender, our what we identify with now, which is actually untrue, which is actually unreal. Our body will mold one day. It will rot or it will be burnt. It will one day mm-hmm. end. We have to die. In the ancient, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, one of the core scriptures of the Vedic wisdom, it says, Jatasihi Dhruvo Mitra, which means, for one who is born, death is certain. And we change our body just like we change clothes. So, but... Uh, one of the reasons why we suffer in this world is because we identify with the body. We think this body is me. We think that the things that I own in this world are mine, and we, we, we think we're this body, and that's part of... Um, that's, that's another subject. But basically, that's what conditions us and what leads us to suffering and keeps us separate from the divine. But nevertheless, we still identify with the body. So when we identify with the body and we're connecting with the divine, in the beginning and intermediate stages, we still relate with the divine based on our culture, based on our language, based on our, based on our education, based on our life experiences. And through, those, through that type of relating with the divine, different religions have been formed. So in, if, if, you, if you go to Judaism, then they're going to do prayers in their language. In India, the prayers are in another language. In, in, in Christianity, the prayers are in a different language, in a different style, a different flavor, different customs, different rituals. And that's what the different religions are about. But they're all talking about the same thing. They're all trying to relate with the same thing. But there's individual relationships and individual styles. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that explanation. It's it's very nice. Do you believe that a person can be spiritual without being religious? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Just make a religion of your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what people used to do back way back in the day, you know. So I'm, I'm just, you know, because, you know, you have a lot of people that, that – think that, you know, and I'm glad you shared your your wisdom on that, because a lot of people think that spirituality and religion go together. And and I had a conversation with someone and I said, no, they don't. Spirituality is spirituality and religion is religion. Religion is doctrine and rituals and things that have been created by man. Spirituality is more of your direct divine connection with God, the divine source. And you can, you could be both or you could be one or the other but you know you don't need you don't need both you know you could be a very spiritual person and just be spiritual and just have goodness flowing from your heart um without being religious and so um the person i was and, talking to were in the discussion just 
at first they didn't get it and then they got it and it was like you could just see the light bulbs like oh my gosh look at that you know it was it was a beautiful transformation to see in this person because they just didn't get it at first and then you know at the end of the conversation or when we were done you know uh, with each other's company I saw the person in a different light and I know they saw themselves in a different light too yeah in my in my book eternal dharma the in the last section, I talk about the three stages of spiritual evolution. And the first stage is re- religion, dogmatic religion, which it's different. I'm not saying all religions first stage. It can be advanced mm-hmm. religion, but dogmatic religion, which says my way is the only way. If you don't follow my way, you're going to hell. Otherwise, you're an infidel and you deserve to die. <laughs> and I'm going to exactly. an extension of your own ego. And it's also sometimes human beings, we just get lazy to understand, just to understand life and the world that we live in and our physical reality or just to understand our job or how to use your, your new iPhone, right? It's difficult. It's hard. And what to speak of (laughs) understanding the divine, understanding God, the source of all of existence, the master of all creation, the, 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 how do you say, the thing that causes all, all things to be and that brings life into everything. How, so to understand that, that's hard. So a lot of people say, oh, gosh, that's too much. So I just want to turn off their brain and say, okay, I'll just do, say what the pastor says or what the, what the religious teacher says. I'll just follow the book. And, and it kind of takes the responsibility off of our spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And so, so religion kind of makes it easy. And that's good because, for example, with medicine, if you don't know what the medicine is, and you take it, it still works. It still mm-hmm. helps. So religion mm-hmm. helps people. You don't understand it. You don't really know what's up. But you do some of the spiritual stuff given in religions, the rituals, the the injunctions, and it helps. And it's good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what I say is that there's three stages. So the second stage of spiritual evolution, and the first stage of spiritual evolution worked because people were how to say, in nuclear cultures. They existed mm-hmm. in their own culture. There was very little connection with anything else. So that was just the religion. So you wanted to connect with God? You did it through the religion. Straightforward, easy. Then globalization came, and there was an entire buffet of religions became available to everybody. And that's happening more and more with the Internet, with with travel, with you know globalization, with people connecting with each other. And at that time, the the dogmatic religion doesn't really hold so much strength because you're relating with, you're connecting with people of other religions and you see they're cool people. They're connecting with the divine. They're fine. They're not some evil <laughs> infidel that deserve to die. You know, they're, right. they're fine, right? Right. And so then that opens a space for spirituality, which says, actually, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. I like all religions. I take what I like and pick and choose different things from different religions, or I connect with the divine not even based in any of the religions. I just have my own relationship, and I like them all. And that's beautiful. That's good. That's, that's an evolution. But what I say is the third stage of spiritual evolution is... is um, it's funny, I wrote this, and I forget the exact terminology I use. <laughs> I do that all the but, time. But basically what it means is where we go deep into one specific path because there's a specific sweetness that, can, that comes from a specific relationship. 
Like, mm. let's say in a romantic relationship, you can date and say, I think all women are good or all men are good. But when you, when you marry one or when you come into a, a closer, deeper relationship with one, have a more committed relationship, there's certain things that come out through that loyalty, but not only through that loyalty, but through just exploring one specific path or one specific person in depth. And I say that also with religion and with the spiritual path is when we when we pick one specific style of relating with the divine, one specific relationship, and we go deep into that, there's certain sweetness to access, which you can't access if we're still dabbling or still seeing it all the same, all is equal. Because in reality, everything is not the same. Right. No two potatoes are made the same unless they're genetically modified, and we know that that's no good, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. So, so, and no two snowflakes are the same. There's individuality. So right. our individual relationship is unique. No one has a relationship with, with God, with the divine, like we do. And really, what uncovering our dharma, again, I keep on going to that, because that's the one principle. If people understood, their lives would be bettered in every way, both practically and spiritually. That's why I wrote a book on it, maverickmonk.com. So well, let's, if, let's, go, let's yeah. go into, because, you know, I'm really curious, and, and I know people out there listening are probably like, well, he keeps mentioning these words, and what does that mean? And particularly, I want you to share with the listeners, what is Dharma? Dharma is the most beautiful concept I have ever come across, and I know lots of concepts. <laughs> Dharma <laughs> Dharma means inherent function. It means core nature. Dharma is what something is. And so a pen has a dharma. What is a pen? A pen is an instrument to be written with. So it's Mm -hmm. for writing. So the dharma of a pen is to write. So... Mm -hmm. What that means, it, it, it has a specific duty, it has a specific purpose, a specific reason for existence, which is defined by what it is. Mm. So, it's a natural, uh, so in my book, I, it's a Dharma, we have several chapters on it, but basically, mm-hmm. it's it sometimes understood as nature, sometimes understood as purpose, sometimes understood as understood as um, function. It's a natural inclination, a natural tendency of something for what it is, what it's meant to be. So, How can someone find out yeah. what their dharma is? How can they know what that is? For instance, it took me a while, you know, I was just on my journey to realize really what my dharma is, is I'm here to teach people about how they can be healthy and well. I'm here to teach people. Um and I do like teaching people that embrace the wisdom and the knowledge that I that's been bestowed upon me to bestow upon them at at any given time. I can have seven people that I'm talking to, but as you said, like with the individuality, we're all you know nothing. No one, no two people are like even identical twins are not identical. When you know mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, and so you know. It took me a while to figure out. I just, I've been doing it since I was a kid. It was just, I did it. I didn't think about it. I knew I was good at it, you know, and who would, you know, who am I to know what my purpose is? But, you know, through my journey, I figured out and learned that my dharma is to teach. And it really is to teach people about it, about how they can be healthy and well, holistically and naturally. So someone out there listening may be like, you know, becoming awakened, so to speak, and wonder like, well, gee, what is my dharma, and how do I find find out what my dharma is? Can you share a little bit about that? 
I wrote a book on it. The second, <laughs> the, the second exercise, the book is actually a training program where I give uh-huh. one exercise in each chapter. We have different exercises to have people really come to an in-depth understanding of Dharma because mm-hmm. Dharma is, because we're complex beings. We love, we wish that things were simple. But we, I mean, just your digestive system is so complicated. But right. it doesn't have to be complicated. But basically what I'm saying is that there's different levels of depth of relationship which you can have with your dharma. You can have a superficial level, which is I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm a nurse, I have, I'm a mother, I'm a father. But the fact is that we actually have several dharmas. And what I speak in the book is there's the eternal dharma, which is our spiritual dharma. That's the dharma of the soul. That's our passionate, loving relationship with the divine. That's who is God to me. What is my relationship with the divine? And, and who, do, who am I beyond this body that's going to die and rot? Who am I beyond this mind that's always changing and is influenced by my surroundings? Who am I as, as, as an original consciousness, as an eternal being in relationship with the divine that's just having this human experience and identifying with this body? So that's our eternal dharma. And really all of Vedic and Eastern and I would say even all religions and all spiritual paths is about uncovering that, that dharma because there's one thing knowing it theoretically and another thing is living it in its full expression, in its full, in its full being. Now, so a lot of people on the spiritual path, this is why I'm the maverick, they'll just, they'll only talk about the eternal dharma. And that's really important. But like you, you know, you're an Ayurvedic teacher. It talks about the body. It's all about, Ayur means the life heirs of the body. It's all about the body. It's all about the mind. It's all about health and practical in this world. Also in the Vedic wisdom, there's the, the science of architecture. There's the science of war. There's the science of money. There's the science of business. And it's all, it's all revolving around this one con- concept of dharma. So what that says is that our body also has a dharma. Our mind also has a dharma. And we have what I call temporary dharmas, or dharmas that exist for a certain period of time. For example, a mother. Before she was a mom, she didn't have the dharma of being a mother. It wasn't her duty. It wasn't her nature. It wasn't who she was, her identity. It wasn't her inclination to be a mother till she became a mom, till she had a kid. So in, in the same way, we have temporary dharmas which come with our body, come with this birth, come with our inclinations, our nature, our tendency. So really what we need to do is understand our temporary dharma. What's my career? What's my life direction? What am I, what's my gift to this world? And then we need to know our spiritual dharma is what is my relationship with the divine? And the beauty is, is those dharmas by nature will be in alignment. Your temporary dharma exists to support your spiritual dharma. Therefore, by aligning ourselves with our temporary dharma, we can do that as a spiritual process. That's why in the beginning we were speaking about, okay, how can getting rich and making money, how can that be a spiritual process? Isn't that like totally not spiritual? Right. The fact is, is some people, if it's their dharma to be a businessman, then that becomes their yoga. That becomes Mm. their, their spiritual way of linking to the divine. And it's through business through following their temporary dharma, that they gain access into their eternal dharma, into their spiritual self. And therefore, any action they do in their business is a process that helps them in their spiritual evolution. And learning how to do that is the key, the key 
spice, the key, key factor of life. And it just pains me so much that I see that people live outside of Dharma, outside of their nature. And, I'm, and I see the suffering and the pain and it goes. And I, that's why I write the book and I do these radio shows and I, <laughs> I need to help people. And, and go to maverickmonk.com and get your book, you know. Because right. We, because otherwise we're just missing out, you know. Yeah, I totally. I, you, it's like um, you ha- there's so much that comes, and you get scattered. You may have an intentional purpose, as you. I'm going to say, as you begin walking down your path to bliss, but then there are things that come along that get you scattered, and you lose your focus, and you lose, you know, that eye that you had on that goal. Sometimes gets fogged up because there's other things that come in your way, and so, like you said, you have your book here to help people to really get back on. For one, maybe discovering what their dharma is and true to, you know, and, and then also helping them to get back to finding what their true, true dharma is. Now, is, um, would you equate, and this is just really for the listeners, just to help them have clarity, would you equate, um, someone's true life purpose with their dharma? Could they be yeah. one and the same? Okay. Yes. Okay. That's, Dharma, if you were to translate it in single words, I would call it purpose or mm-hmm. nature or inclination, tendency, natural who you are. Okay. Got it. And you guys out there listening, I hope that, you know, that discussion or basically the, the enlightenment that we just received from Vishnu helps you to understand um, a little bit more about what your your dharma is now um with regards to moving into you know we have this this knowledge that you've bestowed upon us how can someone take what you say and discover um discover not only what their dharma is but what they should do with their dharma i I think you're asking the same question in a different way, which mm-hmm. is, okay, and it's, I think, the fundamental core question of life. It's how do I live? How do I be? How do I live in what I would say perfect existence? How is it that what I live, what I do, how I be, how I exist, the choices I make, how, is, how are they going to be effective? How are they going to be powerful? How are they going to help me grow spiritually? How am I going to be happy in that process? How am I going to be satisfied? And, and because we're, everyone's just searching for happiness, for relationships. Right. And so the question is, how do we live life so we can be happy and so we can live with a higher purpose and be effective and powerful and not waste this life that only exists for a couple of years? You know, it's life right. flashing by. And that's, that's the fundamental question of life. That's the fundamental question. That's what Dharma is all about. That's why I teach what I teach and I, and I do what I do. It's, they're simple answers, but really it's a spiritual evolution. It's a journey that, that you're going to go on. And having different gurus and teachers and trainings along the way helps with, how to say, gradually uncovering deeper layers of depth. Of depth, of depth. It's like a lotus flower. You open one. When we were in the village, when I was in Gurukul, which is the name of the monastery where I was in in India. We had a lotus mm-hmm. pond next to next to it, and sometimes we would go and go knee deep in the muddy water and pick the lotuses. And you'd pick them before they were before they were fully bloomed. They were mm-hmm. still in the bud, and you take them and you hit them on the top of the head with your hand, 
and mm-hmm. kind of crumples the petals, and then you peel the petals open one by one, and you open the lotus and make an open lotus, but manually with your hands. Right. So we used to do that and then use that as an as a spiritual offering and have lotus flowers. We, we thought they were so cool because, you know, a lotus flower, it's cool. <laughs> well, they are cool. They're beautiful flowers. I mean, they're just, they're just beautiful, and every time I see a lotus, it it helps me to, if I'm distracted or from. I don't want to say chaotic, but if I'm dispersed, so to speak, it helps me to come back to that forest-centeredness of my calm, you know, centered, clear self, and then I can move forward. And I wish I had pictures of them all over the place, because particularly when I'm driving, (laughs) because, you know, traffic can kind of make you just, "Ah!" but, you know, the thought that they're impressed in my mind, and I think of it at my third eye is, you know, a beautiful spot when I think of it and put it in context at my lotus flower, you know, it opens things up and then I'm able to get myself be back to being calm, clear, centered and um in loving. So, you know, that's just for me. Can you share one quick tip with the listeners as to, you know, um other you know, than getting your book and in and learning the exercise or going through the exercise process to discover themselves, so to speak. Um, can you share one quick tip that someone's listening right now and they're like, hmm, what can I do for me right now that because I don't have his book in my hands right now, what is something that I can do until I get his book that is going to help me, you know, basically um, discover my true life purpose or my dharma? Okay. I'll give an essential tip. Just the book is available in Barnes and Nobles all over the country and on Amazon.com or if you go to MaverickMonk.com, which is my website, MaverickMonk.com or EternalDharma.com, you can also get links and get the book there and also find other articles. And that. So one quick tip that I would give people, I just wanted to finish the Lotus. That was an example. I wasn't talking about Lotus. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, saying, go ahead. I was I'm saying sorry. That, <laughs> that, if, it, that just as we used to peel the Lotus flowers open, finding our Dharma or finding our purpose is a process where we'll study something, we'll read this book, we'll do a spiritual practice, and it gradually opens. It's like one petal at a time we're opening mm-hmm. to to have our, our true inner self bloom. And with every petal opened, our life gets better and more powerful, more beautiful. So, yes. So one quick tip. All of ancient wisdom, all of Vedic wisdom revolves around a core practice, which is mantra meditation is where you chanting a specific mantra there's thousands of mantras in the vedic wisdom and that mantra gradually it clear it clears the muck and um, and what i mean by that is let's say we've got our true highest self is like a beautiful shining mirror in our heart but then we've got this dirt covering it so when you look at it you can't really see who you are you don't really your consciousness you don't really know who who you are and what is life but by chanting this mantra it's kind of like soap and you you're cleaning that and you can get in deeper touch with yourself and who you are there's if you read the book i mean we didn't even touch the core one of the core essences of the book about the elements about earth water fire air ether mind intelligence false ego how they interact with each other but basically for this tip what i'm saying is that sound vibration has immense power to affect our mind to affect our emotions to affect our soul in some on some level it's a little bit more technical than that but then also to affect physical reality around us because sound exists inside of everything so basically one tip would be mantra chanting mantra chanting so 
would it be something like, um, you know, it, I can think of many, but I'm going to just go with something real simplex, just um, doing the mantra chant of saying OM. Yes, and I actually, in my book, I speak about OM when we go into the depth in it, because I think a lot of people know OM, but they actually don't know OM. All, right. all, of, all of Vedic wisdom is simply the explanation of OM. One word. If you said OM, you could understand all the libraries and encyclopedias of wisdom in India. But to understand mm-hmm. that, to un- un- uncover that, is is simply is the Vedic wisdom. So, yeah, people can chant OM. The first exercise that I recommend in the book, but also I, I think for people it's good to start, is what I call the Gopal meditation. And the mantra is Gopal. And if you just breathe in, and as you're breathing out, you go Gopal, Gopal, Gopal. Mm. Gopal, Gopal, Gopal. Gopal, Gopal, Gopal. You do that with the breathing. You do that for five minutes when you wake up or before you go to bed. If you have a fixed time, of course, there's more. If you get the book, there's some links in the book where I, where I have actually video training where I'll teach you how to do the exercise properly. Or maverickmonk.com, go there. Well, we'll help you out. But... um you just do this meditation, Gopal, Gopal, Gopal. It brings the body into relaxation, brings the mind into focus, and more spiritually, it begins to help us uncover our deeper spiritual self and to begin to find our dharma. And how that works, that seems like a big claim, and we don't have time to explain how it works. I could probably write three books right. on how it works. It's not just a, an emotional, whimsical kind of chant this mantra. It, there's right. depth of, of wisdom behind it, but... That's a simple thing you can do. Chant Gopal. Gopal. Okay. Now, I want to also bring up or ask you about the the word that rhymes with dharma, which is karma. Can you um, share with the listeners what does karma really mean? Because we hear it thrown around. We have, you know, you hear people say it all. Oh, girl, that's his karma. Or, you know, karma's a, you know what. Um, so can you just share what does karma really mean? Yeah. I find it interesting coming from a deep backing in the Eastern concepts to see how concepts have come to the West and lost a little bit of their their depth, but they become in the popular culture. And I think the concept of dharma DH, the one that my book is about, is actually a better concept for the Western world than karma. Karma is simple. But karma really means action. People know karma as reaction because by nature, every action has a reaction. So you do something, then something's going to happen to you. Punch someone, you'll you'll get punched. Give someone a candy bar, they'll give you a vegan, gluten-free candy bar. (laughs) You get something something in return. And that's just uh, the law of karma is, is action and reaction. But really, when you go in depth of understanding what why they teach about karma in the Vedic wisdom and what I teach is, Karma is about what is your action. There's karma yoga, which is how, what is action, which is based on my dharma. So basically, people, they speak about good karma and bad karma. Bad right. karma is when bad stuff happens to you. Good karma is when good stuff happens to you. So the question is, how do we get good karma? Or how do we do right, proper karma or proper action in this world to be able to create the results that we want? And when we do our... When we do our actions, which is our karma, based on our dharma, based on our core nature, on who we are, on our life's true purpose, on our spiritual higher self, then that karma, that action becomes perfect and the reactions will therefore be perfect. 
Oh, I love it. So, love it. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, you guys, so you got some some nuggets of gold right there with regards to dharma, karma, your purpose, and um, how that all ebb and flows and how it can all ebb and flow um, just a little bit more succinctly in your life. Now I want to move to a couple things. Um, you know, in Ayurveda, we say that yoga is the sister science of Ayurveda. It's science, you said? Yeah, sister, sister science, sister, or the physical, okay. yeah, physical um, aspect of Ayurveda. Can you share a little bit of your wisdom with regards to um, yoga, and if there really are exercises that helps people to uh, that helps people or lead them to uh, more enlightenment? Yoga is spiritual. People don't realize that. People get so caught up in the exercise side. Right. It's cool. I do it every day, an hour and a half. I do yoga every day, the physical exercise. and But really, the physical health benefits is a side effect. That's not what yoga is about. It's The example I give is it's like the banana skin rather than the, the, the actual fruit of the banana inside. It's the peel. It's, the, it's mm-hmm. the icing on the cake. It's not the main part. It's not the main point. <laughs> and the purpose of yoga is because, like I teach, is that our body, our mind, our spiritual connection are integrated and holistic in one, and we want to use our whole being, our whole job, our whole family, our whole everything in the process of enlightenment. It says, okay, the highest enlightenment journey is an internal journey in the end. In the end, we're connecting with God, the divine inside our heart. We're creating a spiritual, internal, subjective relationship. So how do you get into deep meditation or a deep state of consciousness so that you can relate with the divine completely internally without being disturbed by things externally? Not easy. Takes some practice. Takes a long Mm -hmm. time. So mm-hmm. with that comes mantra chanting, like I explained, and meditation, specific spiritual meditation and spiritual practices to be able to awaken that state of consciousness where we can connect with the divine. But if you've got a pain in your lower back, if your <laughs> neck is cranked, you sit to meditate, you're thinking about your stomach pain, you're thinking about your, your, your right. stub's toe, yeah, and at the same time, if it's too hot or if it's too cold or if, or, if, or, if, or if you're in the middle of a traffic jam, it's so hard to be able to enter into that state of consciousness because there's things that are tugging and disturbing your consciousness and your mind. So a lot of the Vedic wisdom teaches us, okay, how do we make our body be in balance so that it doesn't disturb us and it can be supportive of us cultivating a higher consciousness. And that's what the yogic exercises do. At the same time, and that's what Ayurveda does. At the same time, the architectural scriptures or the scriptures on business is how do you, how do you be not so stressed about paying your bills and you have an abundance of money so that now you can sit and meditate and not worry about the money. And how right. can you have a great relationship? So, and, 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 and so basically, how do we set physical reality so that it's supportive of our spiritual evolution? And that's what a lot of yoga, Ayurveda, and these other more physical sciences of the Vedas teach us. At the same time, we're, those are, in a sense, support systems of our spiritual internal connection. But the spiritual internal, connect, internal connection is not dependent on those things. So you can still have a messed up body and still be enlightened. You can still not <laughs> do the yogic practices. You can still do that. It's just you, have, you just have to transcend over the disturbances that your, your stub's toe or your crank's knee would, would have. 
Love it. I love it. Because, you know, here over in the Western world, every people will crack me up when they say, oh, I'm doing yoga. And they think that all yoga is is doing the asanas. And, and, and I'm like, oh, great. You know, and then I start asking them questions. You know, are you practicing pranayama when you do your yoga? Do you meditate? You know, do you, you know, I start, and they're like, well, no, you know, but and I'm like, okay, so you're basically just going through the poses, and I'm like, that's good for you. It is going to help you for sure, for sure, but maybe you might want to take a little bit in-depth look about really what yoga is and how it can be so much more beneficial to you than just doing the postures, poses, or asanas, and so it's really cool, and I'm glad you shared that, um, you know, with the listeners because I know that people are curious. I want to touch one more one more thing, and then we got to wrap up. But with regards to like things like Reiki and acupuncture, and I'm a Reiki, I do Reiki, I do energy healing, um, just kind of fits with what I do. Um, you know, some people are like very skeptical, specifically if you're not, you know, with Reiki, if you're not like touching them or manipulating them or things of that nature, they're really skeptical, although they will experience profound benefits from it. You know, there are skeptics out there and there are people that preach skepticism with regards to Reiki and acupuncture. Can you share with the listeners with regards to do they really work? Okay. So this this opens up to a whole other dimension, which we didn't even talk about <laughs> in this book. Uh, um, no, I talked about it in the book. I mean, we didn't talk about it in in this in this interview. We we basically mm-hmm. just talked about the first. I have my book divided into three parts. We talked about some of the concept of the first section and slightly touched some of this concept of the second section. But the middle section, part two, which is the biggest part of the book, is about physical reality and subtle reality. We see the world around us is made of only eight things. And some things are physical, are tangible, are measurable, are hard. And some things are subtle and etheric and harder to perceive, but yet very real. And I would claim, and I do claim, and I give a lot of backing for it in the book, more powerful and more important than physical reality. So the, it, the Vedic wisdom tells us that there are eight elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether. Those ones people are familiar with. Five-element acupuncture is based on it. Uh, wars, are, it's used in martial arts. It's used in many different sciences. And so then more subtle than that is mind, intelligence, and false ego. So we see if we just divide physical reality and subtle reality, physical reality are things that you can touch, and that's like earth, water, fire, air, ether. And then mind are ideas, concepts, motivations, emotions, inspirations, desires, visions. These things you can't stick in a jar. Communication. These things are are of a more subtle nature. But harder to perceive, yet more powerful. They say there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. Or they say the pen is mightier than the sword. Someone has an inspiration, a motivation in their heart, and that's what causes them to create a big business or to build a building. So physical reality follows in in suit of subtle reality. Physical reality comes from, in other words, you build stuff based on what you want to build, on, on your motivations, on your desires. So exactly the details of how subtle reality affects physical reality and how physical reality affects subtle reality, I go into much depth and use that for business and relationships and, and practical action in, in my book, Eternal Dharma, on maverickmonk.com. So sciences like Reiki, 
acupuncture, uh, chronic healing, energy work, those things, they're operating on a subtle plane. And if we were to get technical, they actually operate very much on the air element. Air, when you blow, that air, you can't see it, but it's still real and still slightly physical. There's right. another part of the air element, which is prana, or it's chi in Chinese or ki in Japanese. It's the, it's a, I assume that people listening to this may have some familiarity of this energy work. The qigong deals with this. The reason why mm-hmm. yoga works is yoga is about moving the energy in the body. The, the positions you're putting yourself in is to activate specific chakras, is to have the energy move in the body, and therefore the physical body becomes healthy by moving the energetic body. That's how yoga works. So basically, Reiki, acupuncture, things like this are working on the energetic body, are working on the body which is subtle, harder to perceive, but the physical body follows in suit of. And therefore, the sciences are very powerful. I've, I've seen, I, I studied acupuncture and, and, and used things like this. I've seen people in 17 minutes, a fever disappear simply by sticking two needles in because you're increasing the earth element in the body and decreasing the fire element. And basically working on the energetic body. I, I myself one time had this terrible stomach ache, and I, I, I was, it was it was horrible. And I I thought, okay, I need to do some acupuncture. I stuck needles within me. Within 14 minutes, I had to take them out. I vomited, and and 20 minutes later, I was healthy. I was fine. Yeah. Just by moving the energy inside the body. So for people who use this, like yourself. It's it's a no-brainer. It's, it makes sense. There's nothing to be skeptical about. If you see it, exactly. if you use it, it works. It, there's, there's no question. It, but, exactly. But it takes a different type of subtle perception to relate with. You know, that's so cool, and thank you for sharing it. I like the analogy you gave, like, you know, when we breathe, you can't see the oxygen you're breathing in, but yet you breathe all the time, and you believe it's there. You believe it's working. You believe it's oxygen, oxygenizing your body. You, there's no doubt in your mind when you breathe that you believe you're breathing in something, even though you can't see it, feel it, taste it, or anything, right? And so it's really cool. I like that analogy, as you put it, with regards to Reiki and acupuncture, because I, I do believe in all of these wonderful holistic practices and I've seen miracles happen that would blow the socks off people's mind but you know um, coming from someone like you I think it gives it just a little bit more credence than me because I'm just a you know I'm just a regular person I'm not a guru you are and so um, it just gives a little bit more credence with regards to you know things work even though you may not see how they're working like you said you take medication you you have faith that it's going to work it doesn't always work but it, you have faith that it's going to work and you you take it you have no doubt you know no um no apprehensions about taking that medication but sometimes yet when it comes to doing things that are more subtle but work just as profoundly um, people are a little bit apprehensive and so with that you guys I could talk to um, this new Swami for many 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 more moments but I know he's extremely busy and um, I want to honor his time and thank him for being a guest on Blissful Living please 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 go pick up his book Eternal Dharma as he says you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. You could go to his his website, um, maverickmont.com and, and and learn more about him. But you could probably probably go to a site that he has, eternaldarmal.com, and learn more about the book and how you can get more information about, you know, how he may be able to help you 
or, you know, how you can get to the book and things that are in the book that can help you. But whatever it is you do, if this is something that's piqued your curiosity and you want to learn more, you feel that you're destined to learn more, then I highly suggest that you go to, you know, Amazon.com or Barnes & Nobles and pick up Eternal Dharma. Remember, it's the Maverick Monk. So the Maverick Monk, Vishnu Swami, has wrote this wonderful book. And it really is an unadulterated rapture, pure, raw, heart-quenching, and goat-jolting spiritual evolution. And with that, I want to say thank you, Vishnu, for being a guest on the show. It was a pleasure to speak with you and get your enlightenment and your words of wisdom and your nuggets of gold. I took a lot out of it, and I know my listeners did too, or the listeners, because they're listening to you. They did too. Um, Any last words you want to share before we sign off? Spiritual growth is really fun. Some people see it as difficult, hard. Oh, I've got to do this spiritual stuff. No, it's beautiful. It's fun. The more you get into it, you'll like it more. So I look forward to having more fun with you. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Thank you so, so very much. I love it, love it, love it. And with that, you guys, I'm going to just say thank our sponsors, the Health Healing and Wellness Company at healthhealingwellness.com and All Day Cable Inc. at alldaycableinc.com. Thank all of you for listening. Please share this show with as many people as you possibly can, those you love and care about and those you don't love and care about because everybody can get some some positive energy. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter where it comes from. It's just the positive energy that circulates with what you share with them. So please feel free to share the show. Um, And again, thank you, Vishnu, for being a guest on Blissful Living. This is Rochelle Marie Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, saying, I'm wishing you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. And until next time, may you be healthy, well, and spiritually enlightened. Goodbye for now. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E Lawson, L-A-W WSON or at healthhealingwellness.com or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.